Revelation 17. Read this here, verse 1 through 18. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her head was a name written, Mystery, Babylon, the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. When I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints, and with the, and I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints, and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, and when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman, and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, <clears throat> whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was, and is not, and yet is. Here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen. And one is, and the other is not yet come, and when he cometh, he must continue a short space. <clears throat> and the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast." These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for He's Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. And He said unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put it in their hearts to fulfill His will and to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city that, which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Uh, some people think, well, this woman is America. This woman is Washington, D.C. This woman is... Uh, kind of the just false religion in general. And there might be some parallels to some of those statements. But it seems like the most fitting candidate is the Vatican. Um, the most fitting candidate. And we'll look at that. First of all, what's an overview of this chapter? Um, so we looked last week. It kind of divides up into John's introduced to this picture. Or John's has an angel come over to him and says, Look, I'm going to show you something. The judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Etc., etc. And then he shows him this vision, and then he shows the interpretation. In the vision, he shows us whore 
sitting on this beast, this, this monstrous beast. Now again, we're gonna, I'm going to... I'm going to make loaded statements. Some of us tonight are like, whatever, Pastor, I just, I got you with that. I got you. Others, you might sit discerningly like, okay, I'm going to see if I want to agree with that. Fine. I'm going to make loaded statements that I feel like I can almost spend five minutes, every five minutes of, what I, of a statement that I say. I'm like, oh, I could really pull aside and try to prove that one. But I'm, but I'm just going to say these things, and you can test them further if you want. Whoredom in the Bible is usually seen in two ways. Whoredom is literal. Like a whore, a physically a woman, a woman sexually selling herself and being unfaithful or she never was faithful, sell herself to other men. The other thing that whoredom is stated in the Bible is, is referring to religious infidelity to God. Spiritual infidelity. It's in the Bible. It's in the, the prophets said that. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, some of the other minor prophets said, Israel, you're, you're a whore. You're, 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 you've been, you ran away from your husband, the Lord. You're not faithful to worship Him and love Him and serve Him. And you're just playing around with all these other idols and all these other things. And you're fancied by the other religions of the, all, the, all the other nations. And you've been unfaithful to God. Whoredom is pictured as unfaith, religious unfaithfulness to God. Infidelity. You know what's ironic? In Numbers chapter 25, verse 1 and 2, they usually go hand in hand. Israel committed abomination before the Lord. They went and they bowed down to the idols of Moab, and they also was with their women. It kind of went hand in hand. So whoredom here, has, so we have an idea of, okay, this is a religious organization who's being unfaithful to the truth of God. That's what we have. So it's a whore, and she's, uh, she's uh, been religiously deviant to God. And she's <clears throat> compromised with kings, it says. She's uh, committed fornication with kings. So this organization has made these compromises with politicians and kingdoms. And she's, um, she's also had a drunk, stupefying influence on the world with her doctrines, intoxicating people with her ways and her rituals and her whatever. It says she's made all the inhabitants of the earth drunk with the wine of her fornication. And then she's, the Bible says she's riding on this beast. Now that's a part where we don't see that yet. That's where the rest of this chapter, from verses 8 to the on, we haven't broke that down, and I'm not going to break that down tonight. I'm going to just give you the gist of it. It shows her, this whore, her future. Now she's, hey, look at me. I'm on this, I'm connected to this world power, this dynamic leader. The seven heads picture... There's been seven gigantic, uh, godless kingdoms. Among them would be like Babylon and Greece and um, uh, Persia. And the sixth one was Rome. Heads on this beast. And the the beast, the Antichrist, is called uh, the seventh, and he's or he's, he's the eighth and he's of the seventh. That means, because what happens is, see, in the future, the Antichrist becomes this world leader of a revived Roman Empire, and he gets executed. Then he comes back, and it's like it's a new kingdom now, and he's different. He's of the, he's the eighth and he's of the seventh. It's a language. I know you're not be getting that all that tonight, but here she is riding this beast. In other words, it shows her that she's, she's hooked up with 
the Antichrist in the future, this world leader, this world religion hooked up with this world leader, they're doing something. What are they doing? Oh, he's using her to gather up the rest of the people to be loyal to him. And the ten horns, I believe, are ten nations somewhere in Europe or in that vicinity that are, that are um, in step with the beast, the Antichrist. And she's working with them, and they use her. Well, listen to this. The Antichrist does not like religion. He's godless, but he'll use it until he's, until he's done. And they're going to use her for however they're going to do to intoxicate people with loyalty. I don't know what they're going to do. But when they're done, they're done with her. Thanks for helping us get the rest of the world to follow us. Spit her out. And they're going to use her and abuse her, and, and, and they're going to plunder her. It says those ten nations are going to eat her up and plunder all her riches and all her wealth. And so the Antichrist doesn't care about God, doesn't care about religion. He'll use it, though, when it works. That's what the Bible teaches here in this text. It talks about some movement there of the, of the horns and what they do. And so this is an overview. They're going to destroy her. And then we see, apparently, chapter 17 and chapter 18 show kind of a two-pronged... And again, I haven't fully figured this out, but I do understand this. It appears that this mystery Babylon is two-pronged. There's the religious-slash-political one, who we're looking at tonight, the great whore, the Babylon. But then there's another Babylon, the commercial side, the one-world uh, currency and economic system in chapter 18... If you read chapter 18, it's kind of like, wait, we just shifted gears. What's going on here? And in chapter 18, that Babylon gets destroyed by God. In chapter 17, this Babylon gets destroyed by the ten kings. And then the angels even say, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Reward her double. So there's this, and it's still kind of mystery, Babylon, you know? But... What we want to look at tonight is, from what we can see in Revelation 17, some parallels to what we can kind of see today. Even, let me just say this, some old school Protestants, some of what we would call the Protestant reformers, and even the proto-Protestants, that's us Baptists, we're called, somebody wants to call you a Protestant, you can say, technically, technically I'm a proto-Protestant. That means you were. That means Baptist type people. Waldensians are bef- are connected to Baptists and Albigenses. I'm naming some names. You're like I never heard of these people. They're Baptist type people. There's a heritage of people. They are not always. Con- you may not always see how they connected, but there's a heritage of spiritual beliefs that go all the way back to the apostles that were non-Catholic and non-Lutheran type. And before them, they were, there were people that would say, you know, that Catholic Church is like this thing in, 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 in Revelation. And Martin Luther even, who came out of it, and even John Calvin, some of these guys we wouldn't all be in step with. Some of these reformers said, this is, this is the Vatican. And they got in big trouble for that. So I'm not alone in what I'm saying. I'm not being an oddball. Historically, this has been... This has been Pointed out. Okay, really quick, some parallels. Now, again, some of us may, like, I don't know a lot about Catholicism, Pastor Henry. I've been in Christian Baptist church all my life. Okay, fine. I'm just going to walk through some of these. Some of them we'll just we'll say through quickly, and so others maybe we'll make a few more comments. Number one, we see the parallel of, of whoredom, of worshiping. Again, spiritual whoredom 
to God is when you commit, when you worship things like pictures and statues and people and pray to other things besides God. That's whoredom. And so when there's, when there's a religion, any religion, not just Catholicism, any religion that encourages picture, and look, we have a cross to remind us, but to think this is a lucky charm or to worship the, a, a, a relic or pray to somebody, or marry, all those things. Do you see what I'm saying? This is distracting from worship of God, which is supposed to be in spirit and truth, and we worship one God. We don't pray to the saints, pray to the angels, any of that stuff. That would be whoredom. Number, uh, another another uh, thing would be, number two, worldwide presence. Look at chapter ver- one, 17, verse... One at the end of verse one, I will show unto the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Look at the end. Of, look at verse fifteen. Verse fifteen: The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Now wait a second. What are you talking about? This whore. But then it says she's a city. What are you talking about? I thought she's a city. Yeah, but it's a city that it's all her representation is all over the world. Again, what does it say? Verse 18, the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. But then it says, verse 15, the waters are where, are, which thou sawest are where the horse sitteth. People, multitudes, and angels. In other words, it has a worldwide presence and yet has headquarters in one city. How many religions have headquarters? There's a few that have headquarters in a city, right? Maybe Mormonism? Salt Lake? And then Muslims, I don't know, what, what they got the thing in, what is that? Mecca, okay. Which one really has leverage with kings for the last 2,000 years? I'm asking an honest question. Because the Vatican has had, I mean, eh, Salt Lake, you've just been around since, you know, 18-something. and we've, They are powerful, there's no doubt, Mormonism is powerful. But there's one that's been exerting leverage that's a city headquartered in one place. Okay, so worldwide presence. Another aspect is this, this thing about the colors. Look at the, we talked about this last week. Look at verse 14. The woman which thou, woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet colored and decked with gold and pearl, gold and precious stones. The colors of the, of the leadership. Again, you know, look, I, I don't, you pull up a picture of the, I don't even know the names of the places there in the Vatican, but you see a bunch of red and a bunch of purple. Wow, Okay. There's the colors that characterize their leadership. So this woman has those colors. Here's another aspect. Um, I'm going to skip a few of these things. I want to make sure it's very obvious. In bed with kings. Chapter 17, verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. Again, I've said this last week, but there's been different types of religions that have tried to blend with the state. But Roman Catholicism has consistently tried to get into um, politics from that standpoint. There's been state churches. There's been, I mean, at one point Europe was just dominated by the, the Catholic religion and state church, and that's part of why you know some people came over here to the United States. Here's another uh, thing extravagantly arrayed. This woman's extravagantly arrayed. Look at verse 4 again. What is it? Decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations. Lavish. Lavish. 
unashamed of the extravagance. And, and, and again, I haven't been to the Vatican. I haven't been to those places, but I see and read. And there's an enormous amount of wealth and extravagance there, right? Somebody say amen if you think that's true. Okay, I, I, I'm wondering, and we're on Facebook Live here, so I might get in trouble too. Listen, they wonder, who's really the richest religion? The Mormonism is very, very wealthy. Mormonism, I think it's the wealthiest religion in the United States west of the Mississippi. But worldwide, yeah, uh, uh, Islam is. But I'm telling you, they've been burying riches there. There's a lot of gold. They don't even know. They got their own bank, right? They don't even. In fact, a, a few years ago, some bankers got in trouble. Some guy was snooping around. I was like, I don't know about some of this. And this guy dies, you know. There is a lot of riches in the, more, the, the Roman Catholic Church. A lot of wealth. We, lots and lots of it. Now, while I've said that, I want to just also say, it's okay if somebody has, I mean, it's not in and of itself bad to be wealthy. We're not saying that. But it seems like it's just been amassed and amassed and amassed and amassed and amassed, and something's going to become of this stuff. And by the way, to be honest, our Catholic friends would say, hey, but look what we've done. We've built hospitals, orphanages, feeding the poor. I'd be like, thank you. Thank you for that. A couple of my kids were born in a Catholic hospital. We got a Catholic gynecologist and pediatrician. I mean, they don't push it on us, but I kind of know they are. I'm happy. Thank you. Thank you for being a nice human. That doesn't justify the rest of the picture, though. So a lot of this wealth has been confiscated in battles, in crusades, I'll tell you this, this is a fact. You can look at it. I, I read this one. I like this guy named Marshall Trimble. He's an Arizona historian. He's really interesting. And he wrote some books about history of Arizona, and I read it some back, and I thought, oh, this is pretty neat. But I don't think he meant to put this stuff in there, but I, to, to put it out. But when I was reading, I'm like, some of the first people to ever come here, besides our native, the indigenous groups, Native Americans, were uh, conquistadors and the Jesuit priests. They came, Man, they were coming here. They're looking around. And I'll just, maybe some of them were good-hearted as a human in a sense. But I'm reading this, I'm like, some of these guys, I'm, they're here for one reason. Where's the gold? They were trying to make friends with some of our, I, I'm reading this, I'm like, they're trying to make friends with the Native Americans so they can say, where's the gold? And so uh, while they're digging it, the Native Americans won't kill them. Sometimes it didn't work out. But they were trying to look for gold to enrich the church more. Now, Extravagance. Um, this, is a, this is something that... <laughs> okay, verse 5. Another parallel to what we see here to the Vatican. Okay, and we none of us like this. None of us like this. Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. There's a lot of spiritual abominations in the sense of false doctrine that happen in many religions, and there certainly are in the Catholic religion, taking away faith from Christ and putting it on other things. But the abomin- there's moral abominations. Is there moral abominations can be found in every group? Yeah. There's corruption that can be found in every type of group eventually. Right? And you should never cover it up. It needs to be dealt with and exposed and prosecuted and church disciplined and all that stuff. But man alive, it's embarrassing. And I'm not a non-Catholic to hear about, oh, they got... They did an investigation and they think there's 200 Catholic priests in this state that have committed... 
going, that's embarrassing. And it just keeps going and going and going. And I'm just scratching the surface. I, just read your own history. I, look, there's, there's a guy, I'll read you a Catholic, but one guy said himself. Okay, so this guy, and, ah, oh, man, I'm going to lost my place. Okay, here we go. Uh, Cardinal Bar, Baronius, though a defender of the papacy, that means he defended the, the church there. He confessed that in St. Peter's chairs have sat monsters, quote, filled with fleshly lusts, cunning, and all forms of wickedness, having prostituted the chair of St. Peter for their missions and paramours. In his 16th century book, Ecclesiastical Annals, here's what he wrote. Quote, the Roman church was covered with silks and precious stones, which publicly prostituted itself for gold. Never did priests, especially popes, commit so many adulteries, rapes, incest, robberies, and murders as in the Middle Ages. That was from a Catholic defender. And um, read Martin Luther. Martin Luther was really, he said, they're committing sodomy. And they're committing, and they have their boys. That's how he put it. The popes, and he named one of the popes, had his boys. And cardinals have their voice. It's bad. Now, they might come out and say, oh, we apologize. Great, apologize. But it just keeps going and keeps going and it keeps going. And it's embarrassing, isn't it? That's yucky. Ah, yucky. I don't care what religion it founded. That's yucky. But the sad thing is, is this is saying we are of Christ. No, you're not. No. No, that's not of Christ. That's not what was built on that rock. All right, so a couple more things. The parallels, they indulged in Christian martyrdom. Verse 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered, who would do such a thing? Is what he's thinking. The woman was what had been indulged in Christian martyrdom. I don't know the numbers, but you can find them. The numbers of martyrs. Genuine Christians have been killed by all sorts of people, okay? That's a fact. Atheists, theists, religious, all sorts of people. Um, But there's been a huge number of genuine Christians in the last 2,000 years, especially the Middle Ages and the Inquisition, killed by, unfortunately, the Roman Catholic Church. There was, I, I thought I had a number somewhere, the... Inquisition in Spain alone, 3 million were, were killed, 300,000 were burned for different sorts of things. Let me read you another thing. This is <clears throat> Martin Luther. Again, he's a, he was a Catholic who discovered the gospel and said something about it. He didn't quite come as far out of the, uh, the Catholic Church as he should have, but... <clears throat> Martin Luther, in fact, okay, I don't know where to even start reading. He's talking, Martin Luther acknowledged his debt that he owed to pre-Protestants, proto-Protestants, like Albigenses, Waldensians, Anabaptists. Martin Luther acknowledged a debt he owed to them and these other separatist groups before him in 15, again, in 1500s, early 1500s, Martin Luther caused a stir. 
in Europe saying, whoa, this is wrong, there's corruption in the church and the doctrine's corrupt in this manner of the gospel. But he acknowledges, and I'll read this, he said, quote, Martin Luther, we are not the first to declare the papacy to be the kingdom of Antichrist. Since for many years before us, so many and such great men whose number is large and whose memory is eternal have undertaken to express the same thing clearly and plainly. He's saying, we would say, yeah, a lot of Baptist-type people were saying what you say, but everybody focused on you when you said it. And what he was saying, too, is there's been a lot of people killed, a lot of Christians killed over the years through the Roman Catholic Church. Now, look, they're very peaceful right now. There's, peace, there's peacefulness, but that doesn't mean it could change. I'm, again, I'm just trying to say, look at this, look at this. How can we deny truth? It's right in front of our face. Number, or number whatever this is. Here's another parallel. Her headquarters is on seven mountains. The word mountains, again, this is hard to get away from this thing. Look at verse um, 9. Here is, again, he's interpreting it for John. Here's John. He's sitting there. What is this about? He says, hey, I'll tell you what it's about. Verse 9, the angel says, here's the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are, they represent actually two things. Verse 9 represent one thing. Verse 10 represent another thing. He said the seven heads are seven mountains. The Greek word is oros, like we get the word iron ore, and it's sometimes translated hill, like the hill where Jesus died. Seven mountains or hills on which the woman sitteth. So again, it's a city sitting among these seven hills. It is common knowledge that Rome is a city built on seven hills. Now, somebody say, Pastor, but so is Rio de Janeiro. That's built, they say that's built on seven hills. Fine, but it doesn't have as many qualities like this. I don't see much there, you know. There's just, there's a lot of other dominant qualities that are coming out and connecting it to the Vatican. So her headquarters is on the seven mountains. A couple more things. We already said this. She has the sway of kings, verse 18. Verse 18, the woman is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. The great doesn't necessarily have to be the size itself of it, but great mega influence is what it's saying. Had sway over kings. And then another parallel is this, and we'll stop at this last one, and then I want to conclude with another couple things. Her wealth holds much worldwide economic sway. Again, a wealthy church. We're not preaching against, oh, it's bad to have riches or some gold staff somewhere. I'm just saying they have a lot. And this, You see this horse. She has a lot of wealth. They use her, the, the beast and the ten nations use her. And when they're done, they take her wealth. Thank you. We don't like you. We burned you up. She's got a lot of wealth. The Vatican has a lot of wealth. I don't know what's going to happen, but somehow it's going to get plundered. And that wealth's going somewhere, probably to the kingdom of the Antichrist. But until then, she's using her wealth for her ways. So that's how, when we as Bible believers take the Bible and look at it, and we have, open our eyes and try to see some obvious things around us. I'm just trying to make some connections. If you feel I'm wrong on a few things, that's fine. But I think there's, uh, by and large, it's hard not to see a Vatican flavor here. It's right there. All right, so here's the next thing, and, and I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to make this a little shorter. It could be a whole other message.
I said some of these points last week. This could be a whole other message. Let's reflect, let's, let's again reflect on the fact that, last of all, kind of last little discussion, is that the Lord is making an obvious contrast in the Bible here between one woman and another woman. A woman who's not really married, she's just a whore to the, to the world and to the politicians and to the beast. And when they're done with her, and then it shows a contrast. Here's another woman. She's not perfect, but she's loved unconditionally. She's made pure by Him. She's given a place. That's us. It's the church. It's the church finally assembled all together in heaven. There's two contrasts of false religion, true religion, false church, true church. And so quickly, we've made this last week. Jesus' bride, there's a contrast between these two women, Satan's counterfeit and God's true one. Jesus' bride places her affection on a man to come. Set your affection on what? On things above. Whereas false religion, which encompasses beyond the Catholic Church, this ecumenical, there's another, I'll better, I'll just better move on this. There's an ecumenical thing that, where people, will, I think, will end up coalescing with the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church puts a lot of affection on what men? The Pope. And cardinals and saints and a lot of affection on men right here. The true church says, no, right there. The true church, Jesus' true church, goes everywhere with her message unchanged. 1 Thessalonians 2.4. We preach not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts, Paul said. False church goes and adapts it. Well, you got voodoo, we'll work the voodoo into this and give you a Catholic flavor back at you. You got some original traditions, we'll work that back into you, give you a give it back to you, the Catholic. We'll change and adapt the, the message. It's prostituting. Um, and by the way, other churches that might not call themselves Catholic churches do that. I, I've gotten a few years back, I get these mailers in the mail. I got this thing in the mail. Some, they come to this hip, cool church. And it was like gambling thing. Put out all the, taking all the risks, man. It had like this guy doing poker. And, he, and I'm like, I don't want to go gambling. What is this? I didn't think we had a casino. Oh, it's a church. Yeah. Okay. And then I told you about the other one. I got one of, uh, well, I saw it at, you know, car at Walmart and it kind of had sex in the city and this this whole it was bad but it was supposed to be a church I'm like you're prostituting yourself you're prostituting yourself Jesus's church we they stay pure and stay right and change not change his message as a contrasting here the true church we want to be a true church and we see what it is in the Bible his bride she's also another uh, contrast is less concerned about costly apparel and more concerned about the apparel of Jesus' righteousness, both in salvation and in character. Sometimes these false church pursues, relentlessly pursues wealth. Another contrast, the true, his bride loves genuine believers. 1 John teaches that, chapter 3, verse 10, 11, 23. In 1 John, John basically says, you know, he that's born of God loves his brother. He that hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life biting in him. True believers are not going to murder people. True churches in history, 
don't go to crusades and inquisitions. Baptists and the forerunners of Baptists, no way we didn't do that stuff. There may have been some other groups that did, and they may have even had the gospel mingled into their ways, but that wasn't the church Jesus started. Jesus said, take the sword of the Spirit, not the sword of man for this religion. True churches love other genuine believers. A false one will murder when they don't get their way. And then the last one is that Jesus' true church has, is, is seen in local churches, but no earthly headquarters. We have no earthly headquarters. Where's your headquarters at? I remember I met a guy one time. He was a Mormon guy. He was um, passing along, passing by the property here. He was in the neighborhood doing some sales for his pest control company. It was nice talking when he came through. Hey, man, we started talking. He saw my kids running around. He's like, so are these your kids? I said, yeah. He says, oh, you the pastor here? I said, yeah. He's like, that's pretty good. He goes, who called you? I said, um, God did. And the church recognizes it. Get a little confirmation there. Oh, and the reason he asks that is because they have to get, they're called from headquarters, the apostles and whatever. I don't know the whole exact deal how that works, but I know it's kind of got to go higher up on this organizational stuff. Talk to HQ about that. You want to be a missionary? You better talk to HQ. I mean, that's what I'm saying is that because there's this earthly centralized power. Look, we don't have earthly centralized power here. Even if we were to get all happy about Jerusalem and be like, yeah, let's have a great... No, not even that yet. It's heavenly Jerusalem's coming down. And our headquarters are in heaven. Our citizenship's in heaven, remember? So true church, the true church, we have churches, we want to have nice stuff. But you know what? It's all going to burn. Jesus is going to come back and set up the right place. He will have his HQ at Jerusalem. But false religion makes a big deal about the headquarters and the earthly uh, expressions of that. So let's be, let's think about this. Again, it's put in here to contrast us with the bride of Christ. I, you know, and I, I came here, I came to our church in 1990, and, um, and I'm glad that I found you know, it wasn't a perfect church. It still isn't. But I'm glad I found just simplicity. I mean, our sister saying, you know, the simplicity. I like, that's so true. The older I get, I'm like, this simple church. I like the simplicity, the love, compassion, plain Bible doctrine. You know, we can eventually get a little clogged up in our own rituals and traditions, and we have to break that up. I understand. But the core stuff is good. I found true people here. I don't want to keep it. Let's keep it like that and not be something else and keep ourselves pure. I remember when I got engaged with my wife, we were engaged one year and five days. <laughs> and I uh, got engaged on, I guess it would be maybe six days, six days because it's Christmas Eve. And then we were married and my wife kept herself from me. I kept myself for her too. And she was faithful to me, to marriage, and even through marriage now. And that's what we're called to be for Jesus as individuals and as a church, to be faithful to Him. And not get enamored with trends and ways and culture. We have to kind of sort through it. 
to stay faithful to Jesus. That's what we need to do. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for the, this warning. It's prophetic uh, that we know is going to happen and develop in the, sometime in the future. And we want to come out of this if we're dabbling in it and be distinct from this Babylon whorish type ways. Lord, let us love people no matter what their church identity is. Help us to love them and care for them and be kind and call people to the true and simple Savior, meek and lowly in heart. And let us reflect that same meek and lowly in heart Savior through our life. And let me and let my brothers and sisters not get too enamored with bigness and extravagance that might be paraded in front of us in the name of religion, not get intimidated or even discouraged that we don't have that. That's all passing. We know that our riches are in heaven and the extravagance that we would ever want to truly enjoy and see it should be from you. Thank you for letting us look into your word tonight. Make us wise from it in Jesus' name. Amen.